you want to turn in your hymnal to hymn number 272. Someone grab me a hymnal real quick. <laughs> Thank you. You guys can be seated. Daryl did such a great job this morning talking about the Athanasian Creed. This creed, the Nicene Creed, comes um, before the Athanasian Creed around the year 425 is when it was, um, when it was written. And we spoke about those things this morning, the importance that it has for our view of the Trinity and, um, and really the deity of Christ and, and many of the things that we, sp- we read in the Athanasian Creed are really just an expansion of what we read in the Nicene Creed. So let's all read together on page 272 a confession, really, a, a statement of our faith and really saying all together, we believe these truths and we're confessing these things together. So would you read with me the Nicene Creed? We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all th- the seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, He came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, He became incarnate, from the Virgin Mary, and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer this evening? And we'll conclude our prayer by praying the Lord's Prayer together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your infinite grace. that you created us and that by your power sustain us each moment of every day. And we are so prone to forget this, Lord. We are so prone to forget our absolute and utter dependence upon you for everything that we have, for the blood that courses through our veins, for the breath that is in our lungs, Lord. We are utterly and completely dependent upon you to uphold us and sustain us by your providence. 
We are so prone to think that we are enough, that we are our own shepherds, that we sustain ourselves, that we accomplish the things in our life of our own volition. But Lord, as we see in Scripture, we are utterly and completely dependent upon you. And so we come this evening, Lord, acknowledging our utter and complete dependence upon you for your guidance, for your care, for your protection, for your your provision, Lord. And we thank you for the provision that you've granted us in the gospel and in the, the hope that we have in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. That in the fullness of time, you sent forth your son so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. And we thank you for this, Lord. And we pray that you would be with us even now this evening as we gather together, that as we've begun our day with worship, Lord, as we bring our day to a close in corporate worship, Lord, we thank you for this day that you've called us to set aside to worship you, to rest from our worldly endeavors, to rest from the chaos and the stress that is in our lives, from the things that eat away at our minds, the anxieties of this world, the stress that we experience in our families and our friendships, all these things, Lord, we can, we can give to you. We can lay at your feet and we can take your burden upon us as we're reminded of what you've done for us in the gospel and the rest and peace we have in, this, in salvation. But Lord, we, we come this evening, we recognize that, that we're sinful, that sin remains, the old man clings to us closely, and we are prone to forget these truths. We are prone to um, forget your goodness, forget your providence, and to seek our own autonomy and to reject your commands and reject your sovereignty, Lord. And so we pray this evening that we would bow before you, that our hearts would be prostrate before you as we come before you this evening, as we hear from your word, that we would would not be those that are so, so frequently spoken about in the gospels that hardened their heart when they heard the word of truth, but we would be those that are broken in heart and contrite in spirit, that as we see our sin before us, we would weep, we would tear our clothes metaphorically, that we would shave our heads in, in disgust of the sin that we have committed. But we also know, Lord, that, that you call us not to remain in that state of conviction and guilt and condemnation, but we know that in Christ there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so we pray this evening, Lord, that you would remind us of the assurance that we have in the gospel, the pardon that we have because of Christ's finished work, that our piety, our good works could never merit the eternal life that Christ has given us. And we pray that you would help us to not look to the things of this world for our assurance, but look to the assurance that we have in the blood and righteousness of Christ. And we pray that you would help us by your spirit to be renewed into the image of Christ, that we would follow your commandments and your laws, and that we would be a people that are marked by our love for you and our love for one another. We thank you, Lord, 
for the common grace that you've given us in, in providing a place for us to meet, a space for us to gather this evening, and for bringing us all here safely. Lord, we want to pray um, for Allison and uh, the sickness that she's going through and the Cochran family in general. We pray that you would be with them, also the Dunbars that are feeling under the weather today, and all those that couldn't gather with us this evening. We pray that you would strengthen them during this time and you would um, assure them of your love for them and your care for them as your people, even as they go through trials. We thank you, Lord, again for bringing Landon with us um, to worship with Covenant, um, not only this morning, but this evening. And we just continue to pray for the work that you're calling him to in the mission field as he begins to fundraise for that effort and, um, and seek to go there. And we also just pray, Lord, that you would give him contentment and um, steadfastness as he serves um, Shepherd Reformed Baptist Church plant and as he seeks to be a help to Mario and Luke. And we just pray that you would strengthen that plant, um, that you would meet with them as they're gathering this afternoon and that, that we would have a unity with them that, um, that is found only in the gospel and in the truth. Lord, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives, in our church, and as we gather together this evening, we thank you that you have, um, you have made us a church. You've created us, Lord. You've brought us about. You've birthed us by your Spirit, and um, we thank you and praise you for that work, Lord. And so we pray that as we gather this evening, as we hear the word preached, Lord, you would open our hearts to hear these things. You would soften them as the good soil that receives the seed of your word with rejoicing and with gladness, and that it would bring forth a harvest of 30, 60, and 100-fold. We pray all these things, and we pray as your Son taught us to pray, even as we pray now. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. 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 Well, good evening again. If you want to open up with me in your copy of Scripture to Psalm 23, we'll be looking there to God's Word this evening. Psalm 23. Many of us are familiar with this great and beloved Psalm of David. We've already sang about it this morning. We'll be singing about it again this evening. And this is a Psalm that has brought great comfort and profound peace to many believers throughout the centuries, right? Since David's penning of this great psalm, these words have brought comfort and peace to God's people. Whether it's a reminder of who God is as He cares for His people, maybe it's a reminder of the Lord's provision in times of darkness and suffering, but this psalm has acted as a sort of anchor for God's people as they've gone through these various trials and tribulations. And it's written by David, King David, who himself was a shepherd, 
who himself knew what it was to care for and provide for his sheep, right? We're familiar with David. He begins as a shepherd. (laughs) His life was that of a shepherd. We're very familiar with the story of David and Goliath, and he's called to the, the battlefield, really, as one who would kill lions with simply a stone and a slingshot, and he takes down the Goliath um, with um, the stone and the slingshot that we read about in the Old Testament. And so David was a shepherd. He cared for his sheep. He knew what it was to protect and provide for his flock. But what's so amazing about this psalm and what we're going to see this evening is that this psalm points our eyes not to some earthly shepherd, but to the Lord himself as the great shepherd over God's people. David isn't looking to an earthly leader, an earthly conqueror, an earthly shepherd. He is looking to the Lord as his great shepherd. Shepherd, And we see in this psalm, it not only shows us the great love and care God has for his people, even in their suffering, but what we're going to see this evening is that this, this psalm finds its ultimate fulfillment in Christ and in the hope of the heaven that he has purchased for us. And so I'm going to read the psalm this evening. I'll pray for us, and then we will look to God's word this evening. This is the word of the Lord. A psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray once more this evening. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you have given in us, the truth that you have given to us in your word. And we pray this evening that as we look to this great psalm, that our familiarity with it would not blind us to the great and rich truth that is found in it this evening. That as we look to the great promises of your word, ultimately fulfilled in Christ, that we would be comforted, that we would be reminded of your great provision for us, and that we would worship you for who you are. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to look at three different things this evening, and it really breaks down into the three different stanzas that you see there in Psalm 23. First, in verses 1 through 3, we're going to see the good shepherd. In verse 4, we're going to look at the valley of death. And then finally, in verses 5 through 6, we're going to look at the house of the Lord. So we see in verse 1 that the psalmist's confidence 
in his future contentment and provision comes from the divine covenant-keeping Lord and the covenant-keeping nature of his shepherd. This is why he says these great words that we're so familiar with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. (laughs) The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That the psalmist's contentment and his promise of future provision comes not from himself, but from the divine covenant-keeping nature of his shepherd. That this word translated here as Lord in all capitals is Yahweh. (laughs) It's the covenant-keeping name of our God. David is saying, Yahweh is my shepherd. This is God's covenant-keeping name, that the self-existent, eternal, triune God is watching over him and providing for him. And this is why he can say this great phrase, therefore, I shall not want. In other words, I lack nothing. I have all that I need. Because Yahweh is my shepherd, I lack nothing, and I have all that I need. But not only that, not only does he not lack anything, we could say, I will never be in need. (laughs) I will never be in want. That this is the confidence the psalmist has, not only in his present condition, but for the future, the promise he has for confidence in the future. That just as the shepherd provides for and cares for his sheep, the Lord himself promises to provide and care for his people. But how does the Lord do this? In what way does Yahweh provide for his sheep? Well, we see in verses 2 through 3 four answers to this question of how the Lord provides for his sheep. In what way the Lord provides for his people? We see first that he makes them lie down in green pastures. He makes them lie down in green pastures. We could talk about this in the great book that we uh, have, the green pastures, right? The, The means of grace that God gives to his people, right? His word and his ordinances. This is how God cares for and provides for his people. He causes them to lie down in the green pastures of the means of grace, his word and his ordinances. We see secondly that he leads them to the still waters of rest that he guides them along the still waters, drinking of the living water of peace that's only found in the Spirit and in the confidence that God's people have in him. We see thirdly that he restores my soul, that he renews and revives the weary souls of his sheep, that he cares for them, he provides for them, and he renews them and restores them when they are in places of weakness. And we also see at the end of verse 3 that he leads them in paths of righteousness, guiding them by his law and his spirit for his name's sake. I love how that phrase ends, right? He, he doesn't do these things for our benefit only. He doesn't lead us beside still waters for our benefit only. He doesn't make us lie down in green pastures just because But we see at the end of verse 3 that it is ultimately for his name's sake. It is all for the sake 
of his glory. This is Yahweh who is the shepherd of his people. But that leads us to our second point this evening, the valley of death. We see in verse 4 that this promise of divine provision and really restoration for God's people does not eliminate suffering and trials. That this promise of divine provision and restoration for God's people does not eliminate suffering and trials in this life, but provides true comfort and peace even in the midst of trials and tribulations. We read this in verse 4. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. That even though God's people will go through times of deep darkness, that's another way this phrase can be translated, times of dark night, seasons of uncertainty and fear passing through the very valley of the shadow of death itself, God's people do not need to be afraid ultimately. They do not need to fear ultimately. But notice, the reason they do not need to fear is not because there's nothing fearful. (laughs) There's real danger present in this psalm, right? Because he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there is trials present. There is suffering present. There is real things to be fearful of. There is real danger present. But the reason the psalmist says he will not fear is because of the one who is present with him, even in this valley of deep darkness. That it's not because there is nothing to fear or no danger present, but because of who is present with him in these valleys of darkness. That even though suffering is real, trials are real, evil is real, persecution is real, and these are all things that God's people will face in this life, death, disease, persecution, yet we have great confidence in God's Word that we don't need to fear ultimately because of who is present with us in our sufferings and trials that he will guide and defend his sheep, as we read in the latter part of verse 4, by his rod and staff, his word and his spirit, his rod comforting and correcting his sheep, and his staff defending them and driving away wolves that seek to devour. Isn't it amazing that picture of a shepherd's staff, right? This rod and this staff that comforts his people and defends his people, right? Sometimes sheep need to be led along. (laughs) They're hesitant to go where the shepherd is taking them. They're afraid of, of, of real danger, as we've spoken about. But we see that our Lord doesn't say, just come on. But He leads us and guides us and comforts us by His rod. And we also see that His staff here is a picture of our Lord's defending of His people and driving away 
the evildoers that would seek to devour them. We read that in Ezekiel 34 tonight. These wicked shepherds in the Old Testament, and Jesus even mentions them in his day, and we can look at examples of our own day of shepherds, people that pretend to be shepherds that are indeed not shepherds, but they seek to devour the sheep and use them for their own gain. And we see our Lord here promises that he will defend his people against these wicked shepherds. He will drive them away and protect and preserve his people even in the midst of danger and the valley of the shadow of death. But we see thirdly and finally that this peace and comfort of God finds its culmination, its climax, its consummation in our third and final point this evening, the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord. We see in verses 5 through 6 that the Lord not only provides for his people and brings them peace and comfort by his presence, but he also promises them victory over their enemies and the hope of salvation. It says in verse 5, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That the imagery here is of a great feast, a great banquet, a great supper after a great victory in battle where God's people are vindicated and his enemies are judged, right? I think I I struggled with this passage for so long because it makes it sound like the table's being prepared right in front of the enemies, right? But the imagery here is actually a table being prepared after the enemies have been judged and defeated, where God's people are vindicated and provided for, and the enemies are judged. And we see this picture throughout Scripture. You could go to the book of Exodus, right? Where we see after the Egyptians are defeated right? The Red Sea closes in on top of them. The enemies of God's people have been wiped out. The ones that kept them in slavery and bondage have been defeated. And what does our Lord do? He provides for his people, even in the wilderness, water from a rock, manna from heaven. (laughs) This imagery of a table being prepared for God's people as his enemies are judged. You could go to other places in the Old Testament, 2 Samuel 17, where we see the similar image with David. After a great victory, a table, a feast is prepared for God's people, showing the culmination of God's victory over all their enemies. That this picture here is the shepherd leading them to salvation, really a shepherd of salvation. This is why the psalmist can say in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall almost more literally pursue me all the days of my life. That we see David's confidence in the Lord's provision is, provision is not only in this life, but as the last part of verse 6 says, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That David's confidence is not just in this life, not just the Lord's provision now, but the Lord's provision in the life to come, in the future glory, in the promises of heaven. And that hope of heaven is brought into the present. I like how one author said it. He said, the promise of future glory brings present hope. That as Christians, that's where our hope comes from. It doesn't come from a, a, a present reality 
but it comes from a future glory and hope that we have in the gospel. And so as we step back from this passage this evening, and really as we're kind of catapulted by this passage to the New Testament, we need to see several things this evening. The first thing is that Christ is the true good shepherd. That Christ is the true good shepherd. That we see that this psalm points us ultimately to Christ as the good shepherd, the true shepherd over God's people. That it is Christ who leads his people to the green pastures of his word. It is Christ who leads his people to the living waters of his spirit. It is Christ who brings them rest for their weary souls. And it is Christ who leads his people in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But the question we might be asking ourselves is, how is this possible? How could we, lowly sheep, sinful sheep, undeserving of God's blessing or favor, how are these things possible for sinners like us? How is it possible for Yahweh to be our shepherd if all we are in our sin are rebels and haters of God? And the reason for this is because of what Christ has done. That it is because he also passes through the valley of death itself. He's not only the good shepherd who leads his people on paths of righteousness, but it's because he is the one who himself passes through the valley of death itself, suffers under the deep darkness of the cross as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He undergoes the deep waters of God's judgment so that we might have a seat at his table, so that we might enjoy the blessings of salvation. This is why he can say in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and I lay down my life for my sheep. That the incarnate Son of God fulfills Psalm 23. He is great David's greater son and greater shepherd. And where the false shepherds ran away when they saw trouble and only cared about themselves, Christ is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his people so that they might have a seat at his heavenly table. But the second thing we need to see this evening is not just that Christ is the good shepherd, but all those that are in Christ are indeed his sheep. Christ is not only the good shepherd, but all that are in Christ are truly his sheep. <laughs> and that's comforting words for us this evening. That we can say that he is our shepherd. <laughs> God is my shepherd. We can join with David in crying out in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Christ is my shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd. He has called us out of our sin-filled state and pursued us who were in the sinking sands of our depravity. He came after us. He left the 99 to find the one. I love what Steve Meister said. He said, the great assurance of the Christian life is not how we pursued God, but how God pursued us. 
that sheep don't, by their nature, follow their shepherd. The shepherd pursues the lost sheep. And we have this promise in God's word that the Lord indeed saves all of his sheep. We didn't read this this evening, but we see later in John chapter 10, if you keep going through that discourse in John chapter 10, that our Lord is speaking about being the great shepherd, he goes on, and in chapter 10, verses 27 through 29 and 30, we read these words. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. That in this psalm we have the promise of the Lord's protection, the Lord's provision, and the Lord's preservation. (laughs) That He will not only protect His sheep, He will not only provide for his sheep, but as we see in John 10, he will preserve his sheep. And no one is able to snatch them out of his hand or the Father's hand. And that even though we, like sheep, have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way, the Lord has indeed laid on him the iniquity of us all. Those great words of Isaiah 53, 6. We have that promise this evening that because of the work of Christ on the cross, nothing can separate us from his love. Nothing can separate us from the love of our Savior. And we read about this in Romans chapter 8, that great passage where Paul is expounding on the great love of Christ, the great hope God's people have. And in verse 35 through 39, we read these words, "'Who shall separate us from the love of Christ?' Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. This is the valley of the shadow of death. But then we read these great words. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That nothing can separate the love God has for his people Nothing can separate us from the love and care of our great shepherd. And as we come to the end of the scriptures, in Revelation chapter 7, we see that it is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world that is also the shepherd over God's people. It says, For the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, and He will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And that picture 
that we saw in Psalm 23 of the Lord preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies where God's people are vindicated and the enemies of God's people are judged. We see this imagery come back at the very end of Scripture, again in the book of Revelation chapter 19, where we see judgment upon all of God's enemies, upon Satan and all of his, all of his demons, and yet we see that the Lord provides for his people and prepares a table before them in the marriage supper of the Lamb. It says, let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage supper of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready that at the end of all things the lord will prepare another table before us as all of our enemies are judged satan sin and the world and god's people are brought to live with him in the house of the lord forever let's pray this evening Heavenly Father, we thank you for this great psalm and the great truth contained in it. We pray that as we go through this Christian life, and especially as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, those moments in our lives where the light of your countenance seems to be hidden, where the clouds of deep darkness appear to cover us and we cannot see the light of your face. We pray, Lord, that we would take great comfort in these words that even though we go through the valley, we have nothing to fear ultimately because you are present with us. And no matter what we face in this pilgrimage, in this journey to the celestial city, we have great hope this morning, and this, this evening rather, that you are with us, that you are our shepherd, and that because of the work of Christ, nothing can separate us from your love. You will provide for us, you will care for us, and you will preserve us unto the end until heavenly glory when we dwell in your house forever and ever. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.